If you've got a Bible, uh, go ahead and grab it and turn to Daniel chapter 9, where we're going to be talking about the power of confession. Um, Now, some of you are like, could we talk more about the winged lions and the talking horns or really anything else? Um, Because for as intimidating as the last several weeks or last few weeks have been getting into apocalyptic literature, that's nothing compared to admitting when you're wrong. Um, I mean, just last week, uh, Karen and I had a difference of opinion on something, and um, it was something small, uh, and I know it was something small, because I asked Karen, uh, do you remember what that thing was? It'll make a great sermon intro, and she was like, I do not remember what that was. Um, But we both remember what comes next. So we had this small difference of opinion, um, but it turned out, long story short, uh, Karen was right, and so I manned up. And I walked into the kitchen, I looked her right in the eye. I remember where I was standing, and I said, you were right. And, and this woman knows me so well, she couldn't just take the win. She said, and what does that mean you were? Uh, to which I said, smart to marry you? <laughs> Uh, because I don't like to admit when I'm wrong. And maybe if you are honest, you don't either. And if you're with me on that, then man, today's message is the message for you. Because, um, man, in the book of Daniel today, we're going to encounter uh, an older Daniel. We've had another time jump. He's, he's in his 90s now. He's been walking with God a long time. And what we're going to learn from this sage older man this morning is that confession isn't something to be feared or avoided, um, but it's actually the path to revival. Um, If you're just joining us, uh, the book of Daniel begins when uh, God's people are conquered by the nation of Babylon. And so Daniel and his friends, back when they were teenagers, uh, they're carried away in chains to Babylon as exiles, where um, they lived the majority of their life in a place that was a a dark, dark place. I mean, regardless of your um, political persuasion or ideology, you would have seen this place as hell on earth. I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, They so idolized their military power that they literally built a furnace uh, in which they could throw their political enemies in the public square and celebrate and watch them burn. Um, This was a place that so uh, worshipped demons and celebrated every form of perversion uh, that, man, uh, the weak in society were pushed down under others, people suffered, uh, and really kind of all sorts of perversion were encouraged, except for the one thing that wasn't tolerated was praying to and worshipping the God of the Bible, Um, It was a dark, dark place that Daniel found himself in, and yet, God didn't abandon his people in this place. Um, We've seen throughout this series that time and time again, God shows up and delivers his people from fiery furnaces, from hungry lions, from conniving people that are out to get you. Like, time and time again, God has showed up to deliver his people people, but by the end of today's chapter, we're going to see him do something even more. Um, By the end of today's chapter, God's going to unleash a blessing on a mass scale that will lead um, more than 50,000 Jews to return to the promised land and rebuild the temple, restore what was lost, and to renew worship to the living God in the land again. Um, It's an incredible thing that's going to be kicked off in this chapter of the Bible. It's the kind of thing we call revival today. And and look, from the time I got here, I I know so many of you um, are longing to see that kind of revival in this place. 
um, where, where the God who is um, faithful to work here in profound ways in our past might rise up again and do a new work in our day. And look, maybe you're new here and you, you don't know the history of Pharaoh. Oaks. You don't, you don't know that there's all these extra seats behind the curtains. You don't know why we have such a big parking lot here. Um, well, but maybe you have areas of your life where you would like to see revival. Areas where maybe you felt alive at one time, but if you're honest, you come in here this morning and you're like, Daniel, you're in a dark place where you used to feel alive, but you don't feel so alive. Um, some of us, you, you might be in both places. Like, I want to see revival at Fair Oaks. I want to see revival in my life. If you're raising two hands in your heart with me right now, then boy, is today the text for you. Because we're going to see God, the chapter's going to work towards this incredible revival, and it all happens on the other side of a prayer of confession. You ready to look at it? All right. Daniel chapter 9, we'll pick it up in verse 1. We read this. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the numbers that according to the word of the Lord to the prophet Jeremiah must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Okay, so here's what Daniel's doing. Um, Daniel is reading his Bible and uh, he comes to uh, the prophet Jeremiah. Uh, the part where the prophet Jeremiah, this would be Jeremiah chapter 25, where he says that God's people will be in exile in Babylon for 70 years. We, we looked at this prophecy week one of this series. Um, Daniel gets to that part of the book. And as he's reading it, he's doing the math. He realizes 70 years, man, I'm getting up there. How many years is it? Oh my goodness. We're about there. And, and so in light of what he reads in God's word and realizes about the times, he says God has made some promises to us. And so now he begins to respond to God in prayer from that place. Verse 3. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying... Oh, Lord. You know, let me just stop right there. Is anybody surprised to see confession coming out of his lips at this point? Like, how many of you, if you, if you lived in Babylon for 70 years and went through everything we've seen Daniel go through in the book, how many of you, the first thing you would say to God when you realize the time's almost up, the first thing would be confession? Um, see, Here's something I've been thinking about as we've been going through this book. I think it's so easy um, to when you live in Babylon, and we've said this throughout the book, like our day is not so different from Babylon. It's so easy. Here's what I found. I, I won't talk for you. I'll just talk for me for a minute, all right? It's so easy to grow crusty when you live in Babylon. It's so easy to see the crazy out there and be like, are you kidding me? Like this is the day that we've come to? And yet what I've been so encouraged by in the book of Daniel is this brother had it far worse. And he never gives into that kind of cynicism. Uh, time and time again, like these kings will persecute him. They'll throw him in a lion's den. He's like, hey, I'm praying for you, buddy. Love you. I hope nothing bad happens to you. And I'm like, is that sarcasm? Am I meant to read sarcasm in there? 
see, his heart doesn't grow crusty. His heart stays warm. And, and, and I think here we're, we're getting a glimpse into why. So if you can relate to me at all, maybe I'm the only one that's felt tempted to get crusty as the world goes full on Babylon around us. Um, I would say pay attention to what Daniel's doing here. See, the way he avoids becoming crusty is he lives with his Bible open. That he has this habit of opening God's word and listening to God. Because when, when this book is open, what, what the Bible tells us, we read it at the top of service, is that this book is living and active. And when we open this book, God opens our heart to us and begins to talk to us about our lives. Not, not to condemn us but because God wants to lead us into life. And I think it's really easy to grow crusty if your Bible is shut and you're focused on everybody else. But if your Bible's open and God's talking to you about your life, I think you will find that you don't grow crusty to what's out there. You're a little more focused on what's in here and you're a little more amazed at God's grace. And you're a little more hopeful about what he can do. And, and here's how all of this relates to confession. Sometimes I think we avoid confession because we, we walk around comparing ourselves to the people around us. And so you can look on Twitter and compare yourself to the fools on there and be like, man, compared to that guy, I'm doing pretty okay here. Like, I've got issues, but at least I'm not that person. Good night. But what you have to realize is God doesn't want you to just do okay. God wants you to thrive and to flourish. And as long as you're comparing yourself to your coworkers or that bum neighbor that never brings in his trash cans, like don't set the bar that low. Apologies if you're that neighbor. But as long as you're comparing yourself to the people around you, you're never going to thrive because broken humans don't set the bar for thriving. God does. And God's word is the path to life. God's word is the path to thriving. And it's, it, it, the beautiful thing is when we stop comparing ourselves to others and open our Bibles, it's going to expose us so that God can lead us into life. It's going to keep our hearts soft. It's going to help us be like Daniel who don't grow crusty in exile. And so Daniel's living with his Bible open. He's, he's reading the word, and as he opens his Bible, God opens his heart and reveals some things in Daniel. And so he begins to confess his sin. Here, here's what we read. I'm going to read the whole prayer of confession to you. Buckle up. Um, verse 3. Excuse me, verse 4. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying... O oh Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, to all the people of the land. To you, O oh Lord, belongs righteousness. But to us, open shame, as it is to this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all of Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against you." 
to the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and the oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole of heaven, there has not been anything done like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day, we have sinned. We have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for our iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face shine upon your sanctuary which is desolate. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your ears and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. Oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Here's what amazes me about Daniel's prayer. There's not one but in there. Um, something Karen will often tell our kids is don't let your butts hang out. Um, because, you're going to get that in a second, um, when we are confronted with our own brokenness and foolishness and rebellion, the natural thing is to make excuses. So it's butts with one T if you're still wondering. Don't, don't let your butts hang out. Don't make excuses. Because this is the broken human tendency. And, and I'm not going to throw my kids under the bus. I'll give you an example from the Bible, all right? Um, page one of the Bible. Maybe page two, depending on your font size. Um, when sin first enters the world, when our first parents rebel against God, God comes to our first parents and, and he says, what did you do? Did you eat from the tree that I told you not to eat of? And do you remember what Adam says? The woman you gave me. Yeah, he says, yeah, I did, God, but it's my wife's fault. But I married crazy. And you know what, God? You actually introduced us, so this one's kind of on you, Lord. Like, at least Eve knew enough to blame the devil. Like, yeah, I did, but the devil made me do it. Here's the point, though. They both had their butts hanging out. God comes to them, and in a, a moment where he offers them free confession, like, hey, I'm coming to restore the relationship. 
both of them make excuses to try to avoid dealing with what they have done. And we're doing the same thing today. Um, we even have cute little names for it. Like, like we'll say things like, I got hangry. Do you know this word? It's a combination of hungry and angry that we use to excuse ourselves when we blast people in our anger. So we say things like, ah, I didn't mean that. I was just hangry. My blood sugar was just low. Like, your blood sugar is not the ultimate issue here. Maybe you should have a Snickers bar. But according to Jesus, like, you just murdered that person in your heart. And we kind of need to deal with that if we're going to move forward. And see, this is the problem with making excuses. As long as your butts are hanging out, you can't deal with what's actually been done. And, and, and so there remains a distance in the relationship. If you're saying, yeah, but, yeah, but, and you're stuck in your excuse mode, nothing can be healed because that distance is going to remain until you can drop the excuses and get honest, and that's what confession is. I think this is one of the reasons confession is so powerful, because in a day where we are taught to make excuses that no sin is our fault, that this is just how we are, and we can't possibly be held responsible for our choices or our actions, confession cuts through that nonsense and says, I'm going to stop letting my butt hang out, and I'm going to deal with the reality in front of me. Confession comes to God, and Daniel's prayer is such a model to us. He comes without excuses, and, and I'm telling you, this is where freedom and change can begin. If you can come and say, here's what I've done, that's where freedom and change can begin. That's what Daniel does here. He says, God, we've rebelled. We have broken your law. We have broken relationship with you. And, and, and when you sent us prophets to call us back, we didn't listen to them. In fact, if, if you know your Old Testament, they killed them to shut them up because they felt so convicted when people showed up and started preaching the word and said, that's sin, that's rebellion. They said, we think that's very judgmental. And they killed them. And Daniel's saying, yeah, that was a bad plan. We haven't listened to you. and We haven't listened to you even when you tried to warn us about the path that we were on. Notice he doesn't say, yeah, but the false prophets deceived us. He doesn't make excuses and say, ah, it's not our fault. He says, God, we've acted wickedly. We have chosen to worship other gods. Like, I'll be honest with you, even as I was reading that text just now, I'm like, yeah, but the Philistines were really scary. Yeah, but the prophets of Baal seduced them. But there's no yeah buts in his prayer. There's time and space to talk about Jezebel and her false prophets and what they did to Israel, but this is not the time. This is the time to get honest with God. And so Daniel comes, not a single but in his prayer, because there's no but in true confession. And he comes and he confesses and he gets honest with God. Now, um, at this point, you might be wondering... um, when did Daniel do any of that? Does this cross anybody's mind as I'm reading? Yeah, a few of you like, man, like all we've seen from Daniel so far in the book of Daniel, right, is a guy who seems to love the Lord, um, who prays for his boss at work, who prays for the people that persecute him. He loves God so much he'll go on a vegan fast just to make sure his heart doesn't grow numb to the things of God. So he loves God more than you do, all right? 
This guy's a super duper spiritual guy. He's a great model for us. And so I get why some of you are like, yeah, when did he do all of this? And so um, let me offer you a couple of thoughts as I've reflected on that question myself. Um, Number one, I think that question exposes the individualism of our present cultural moment. Um, Here's what I mean by that. Uh, We tend to think of life in terms of me, myself, and I. And, and, And so when anyone starts talking about like what's going on in our community and our responsibility to our neighbor, we're like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm responsible for me, myself, and I. Whatever happens to you, that's your business. That's not my responsibility. I will say this, that is very American, deeply unbiblical. Um, the Bible paints a different view of reality that says, actually, we are relational beings, and we have been put by God in the communities, in the times, in the place that we are, to live in a network of relationships where we can be interdependent upon one another. And so in the biblical vision of things, it's not me, myself, and I. It's me and my neighbor and my community and the well-being of my neighborhood, the well-being of my church, the well-being of my city. All of that is a burden that I share. And so we can't just sit back on the sidelines and say, wow, that place is crazy. Like, the Bible's going to put some onus on us to say, we are a part of this place. We are not removed from this place. We are in this place. It doesn't mean that we take on all the values of this place. The way Jesus said it is that you're in the world, not of the world. But it's like some Christians today have tried to be not of the world and not in the world and sit outside of it and judge it. The Bible doesn't let us do that. The biblical vision is that we are a part of our community and the well-being and the flourishing and the joys of our community is a burden that we share and the pains and the sins and the grief of our community is something that we have a part to own. This is why you'll find several places in scripture where people will pray on behalf of the larger community. Daniel chapter 9 is but one of many examples I could show you of this in the Bible. Um, The way the New Testament will pick it up is with this metaphor of saying the church, this is talking about one of our networks of relationships, the church is like a body. And and so uh, each of you are a body part in the church, and if we don't do our part, the body falls flat on its face. This is the biblical way of seeing things. It's not me, myself, and I. It's me and my neighbor seeking the good of God together, leaning into this thing together. And, and so I think that's one of the reasons that Daniel can say, God, we did this. Even though it sounds like some of the sins he's confessing are things that were done either before he was born or before his brain had fully formed when he was a child or teenager. And so I, I think that's one of the reasons that Daniel can say this. And, and I'll just say this without going further. I think there's more to think about there and reflect on. Um, but, but the other thing I, I want to point out is um, the book of Daniel only tells us a small portion of Daniel's life. We have 12 chapters for a guy that lived into his 90s, maybe longer. We, we don't know how long he ultimately lived. And, and so um, what you have to recognize is we have but a portion of the story And uh, for sure, like what we've seen so far in the book of Daniel is this guy lived a really remarkable life. 
Like we talked about his accolades earlier. He lived a remarkable life, but he didn't live a perfect life. And I can tell you that with confidence because Daniel tells us in verse 20, he's going to say, um, I was confessing my sin. That's first person singular. And so according to Daniel, he had sin to confess. He participated in this. We don't know all of the details, but Daniel saw himself as a part of the community, but he also saw himself as a sinner who had sin to confess before the living God. And, and I think that should encourage you. Um, or maybe it's going to challenge you. I don't know how you need to hear this. Encourage you, challenge you. I'm just going to say it. If Daniel, in his 90s, after all the acts of faithfulness we've seen in this book, had sin to confess in his life, then so do you. And so do I. If Daniel, at this point, had sin to confess, then I think it should begin to tell us something about the Christian life. See, I think we so often live under this delusion that like the longer and longer we walk with Jesus, we're going to have less and less to confess. But what we see in Scripture is actually the opposite of that. That the more mature we grow in our walk with God, the more that we will be confessing our sin. Like Daniel at 90 still had sin to confess. The Apostle Paul, after writing most of the New Testament, says, I am the most sinful guy that I know. Man, Jesus is a really great Savior because I got in on this. Can you believe that? I'm like, I've never even written a book, much less been used by God to write Holy Scripture. Like <laughs> Daniel, Paul, these guys are giants, and they're telling us something that I, again, think we should pay attention to. That we don't grow past confession, but actually a mature Christian grows deeper and deeper into this. Now, it's, it's not because God doesn't change us. Again, look at Daniel, look at Paul. Like, Jesus has incredible power to change our lives. But what I would say is that Jesus wants a whole lot more for us than just behavior modification. And changing actions on the surface are relatively easy and quick, but changing the heart underneath that drives it, man, that's a lot more of a layered and complicated process. Um, some of you have been walking with Jesus longer than I've been alive, and surely you will know this. The heart is a complicated thing. That the longer and longer you walk with Jesus, if you're really honest, you find layers to it that you didn't know were there. This is why Daniel, in his 90s, still has things to confess. And so, let me just say this. If you walk in here this morning and you're like, I'm a mess. I'm not sure church is the place for me. Good news. It is. You're at home here. We're all a mess. Yeah, that is actually, seriously, like, if you know where this is going. Some of you, like, some of you are like, is it a good thing that we're a mess? I would say this, it's a reality thing. It's a reality thing. And we're going to see good news for messy people in just a minute. But before we move on, I just want to say like, man, if you feel like you're a mess, you can be at home here because this is what, like look at one of our heroes of the faith, Daniel in his 90s, like I need to confess my sin. And that's the kind of community I look at that and I go, hey, I could belong to that kind of community. 
So whoever clapped over here, I'm like, I'm with you. I'm encouraged by that. Maybe you're challenged by that. Here's the point. God doesn't want us to confess our sin just so we can wallow in it. Um, If the text ended there, I would say there's actually nothing to applaud about. Um, But the text doesn't end there. We're going to keep going. And and, and, and I would just say this, that to confess and to confess, if all we do is just wallow in our sin and say, I'm the worst, and we try to out-compete one another how many times we sit, like, go to gospel community this week and say, I sinned 17 times today. Well, I sinned 18 times. I'm a more mature Christian. You might have missed the point at that point. God doesn't want us to wallow in our sin. I mean, really, that's no better than making excuses. God wants us to get honest about our true condition, whatever it is. Because it's not until we can get honest that God can get to work. God wants to heal us. And so it's when we get honest and say, God, I don't want this in my life. This is wrong. I don't want it anymore. That is the point where we invite him to come and do what only he can do. And and so this is the difference between being, this is the difference between being Eeyore and being a Christian, all right? Um, To be Eeyore is to say, I'm the worst, I'm unlovable. It's to wallow in your sin. That's not what Daniel's encouraging us to do here. Daniel moves from confessing his sin to turning to God and saying, okay, God, in light of everything I've told you, clearly we can't fix ourselves. God, we're going to need you to come and fix us. We're going to need you to come, not because we are righteous, not because I'm praying in just the right way, but according to your great mercy. That's the ultimate end of Christian confession. It's not to leave us in our sin and go, look at how much of a mess I am. It starts there. It says, we're a mess. We're all welcome here. And there's a God who can reach down to us in our mess. There's a God who again and again and again throughout Scripture says, I'm slow to anger and rich in mercy. Which is why Daniel begins to move from here's my confession to here's what I'm going to ask you to graciously do. Um, Daniel is, um, he's drawing on a prayer from earlier in the Bible in 1 Kings chapter 8. Uh, We looked at this a few weeks ago in the Daniel in the Lion's Den. Um, So I'm not going to take us back there right now. But this is a prayer um, that was given earlier in the Bible, before it all went wrong for Israel. God gave them a prayer to say, hey, if it goes bad for you in the Holy Land, if you're not a faithful people, I am slow to anger and rich in mercy. And if when you're in exile, you would pray this prayer, I would be glad to heal you. Uh, We looked at that a couple of weeks ago, but rather than go back to 1 Kings 8 to see the mercy of God, I just want to keep going in Daniel chapter 9, because what we get in the next verses are some of the most encouraging reasons that we don't have to fear confession. Daniel's operating off of 1 Kings 8. I think we have even more, and so let's move forward and keep reading from Daniel chapter 9 here. So he's confessed all of this. He said, God, would you heal? Would you move? Would you work? Verse 20. 
while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was still speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking to me and saying, O oh, Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you. For you are greatly loved. That is God's response to Daniel's confession. He doesn't say, Daniel, you did what? I had no idea that you broke my covenant. I had no idea that you sinned against me and broke my law. This is the crazy thing about confession. We can't tell an all-knowing God something he doesn't already know. Daniel comes and he confesses his sin, and God's response isn't, you did what? It's Daniel. Like, while he's still praying, I love that the text says that twice. He, he sends the angel Gabriel, he says, get down there and tell him how much I love him. Don't even let him finish. I love him so much. Just stop him right there. Daniel, you are greatly loved. Is that how you see God? That he loves you so much, he doesn't even want to let you finish your prayer before he says, I, I know, get in here. I love you. I'm for you. See, I think one of the reasons that, that confession is so hard for us is because we think of God in heaven more like Zeus with a lightning bolt just ready to crack us. And the second that he realizes we've gone wrong, it's, pa, judgment. That's what you get. That is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is not Zeus up in heaven ready to crack us. He is a father who delights in giving grace to his children. He is a father who delights when his kids come and tell him something that he already knows and says, I'm sorry, it was wrong. Would you forgive me and heal me? God's response to that is, you are greatly loved. And I don't think it's an accident that this is the first time we're seeing the love of God explicitly poured out in Daniel. You can read the love of God in between the lines as we have. Like, I, I don't think God would have saved them from the fiery furnace if he didn't love them. But this is the first time we explicitly see the love of God in 3D popping out there. It's because when we come in confession... This is where we see how big the love of God is. It's when we pretend and make excuses and think that God loves us based on our performance because we're not being honest about all the junk in our life. That's when the cross seems so small to us. It's when we realize how much junk there is in our life that Jesus could bridge that so God could love me here. That's when we realize that we are greatly loved. And so it's not just that we don't have to fear confession because God loves us. It's actually when you get honest with God and bring your brokenness to him, that is where you will see with greatest clarity the depths of his love for you. You are greatly loved. 
And, and then this is the crazy thing. That's not even the end of God's answer. So remember, that was almost like the burst in there. It's like, hey, Gabriel, get down there. Tell him that I love him. That's what's meant to happen in confession is we're meant to see that. But then God gives Daniel another vision that's the real answer to his prayer. So, so God says, hey, Daniel, I love you. I'm for you. And then he gives him this vision, which we pick up in verse 23, at the end of 23. So you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Some of you thought you got out of apocalyptic literature today. No, you did not. Verse 24. Seventy weeks are decreed about you and your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build up Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and a moat, but in a troubled time. And after 62 weeks an anointed one shall be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with the flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with the many for one week, and for half of the week many. Uh, for the half of the week he shall put an end to the sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until... The decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Now, some of you are thinking, we could have left it, you are greatly loved, right? But that's not the full answer. It's the first thing that God wants to say. I love you, I'm for you, it hasn't changed my mind about you, Daniel. But then he goes on to give him this vision. And um, look, I, I will tell you this, those verses I just read are probably the most debated in the book of Daniel. I was reading one commentary this week that said these are the most debated verses in the Bible. Um, and look, it, the debates are important. Um, they are certainly interesting. Um, they would also make this sermon 20 minutes longer. Some of you are holding your breath, and I'm not going to do that to you. All right. Because the debates, they're important, they're interesting, but sometimes you can get so lost in the weeds, you can miss the main point. And so what I want to do, I want to end the sermon by giving us the main point here. But let me just say this, because I'm a nerd. Um, if you would be interested in diving into the details of this prophecy, stick around after service. Uh, I, I've got 20 or so minutes of content I want to just give you, to give you the different views. We can go back and forth. We'll have a Q&A on it. Any Bible nerds in the room, we'll have a great time. Come after service today, and we'll go through Daniel's 70 weeks. It'll be a great time. If you've got lunch plans and can't stick around, I'm sure we'll get it online later. But I'm going to do that after service. What I want to do is end with the main thing in the vision. There's all sorts of stuff that's debated. But verse 24 isn't debated. And it's kind of the point. So, so let me just review for you verse 24. The angel Gabriel 
says to Daniel, Daniel, you're greatly loved. God loves you. He is for you. And then he gives him this vision of what's called Daniel's 70 weeks. And Gabriel says, in this period known as Daniel's 70 weeks, six things will happen. All in verse 24. Number one, transgression will be finished. We've been saying this throughout this series that God keeps telling Daniel, evil has an end date. It won't go on forever. That's number one. Number two, there will be an end to sin. So one and two work together. Sin is when we rebel against God, and then that leads to evil in the world. God is telling Daniel yet again that those two things will be taken care of. Evil has an end date because rebellion against God has an end date. Number three, iniquity will be atoned for. This is why we can celebrate even as we confess our sins. Because atone means to cover over, to make right. So that means that sinners like you and me who have contributed to the evil of the world can get in on this evil-free, sin-free world that God is going to build at the end of Daniel's 70 weeks. Number four, to bring in everlasting righteousness. This is the flip side of no more transgression and evil. Righteousness is the good stuff. So he's going to wipe away the bad stuff. He's going to bring in the good stuff. He's going to push hell down and bring heaven to earth. This is the coming of the kingdom of the Son of Man we looked at two weeks ago. The whole cosmos will be restored and everything will be right in this place again. Number five, to seal vision and profit. Um, In this day, kings would have a ring that they would seal and authenticate things with. So that you could know that's legit, that's real. What it's saying is at the end of Daniel's 70 weeks, everyone is going to look at the words of prophecy in the book of Daniel and the rest of the Bible and go, that was legit. That was the real thing. It will be authenticated in the end when all is fulfilled. And finally, number six, to anoint a most holy place. This is the thing Daniel's praying about. He says, The temple, your holy hill, that's all referring to the temple. He says it's desolate. And Gabriel says, hey, at the end of this period that we call Daniel's 70 weeks, the temple's going to be rebuilt. It's going to be restored, and God will dwell with his people again. And look, some of you are like, that's you saving content for later? Yes. (laughs) There are so many cool details about this prophecy that, follow in the coming verses. And I'll just say stick around after service to get into that. But the main point is this. God's answer to Daniel's prayer to send the people home and to rebuild the temple and to restore the worship is yes. Or as we sang earlier, yes and amen. Daniel says, we've messed up. We need you to move in your grace. And God says, Daniel, I love you. And of course I'm going to move in my grace. I will send one who will put an end to sin, who will atone for iniquity and bring my presence back to the world. I'm going to do it all through sending an anointed one, he calls him, who will be cut off for the sake of his people. Do we know anyone like that? Jesus, yeah, you're in church. Great answer up here. Jesus. Um, If you're skeptical, um, let me just ask you this. What do people say when they want to use Jesus' name as a swear word? Say they hit their hand, hand with a hammer. What do they say? Say it loud. Jesus Christ. 
Now, some of you may know this. Christ isn't Jesus' last name. It is a Greek word meaning anointed one. So in other words, Jesus, this is what the first followers of Jesus are saying by, by using that as a proper noun for Jesus. They're saying Jesus so fulfilled this prophecy and so many others. Jesus is the anointed one who through his death on the cross was cut off for our sake, who would atone for all the junk we would ever have to confess because we, like Daniel, are greatly loved. And just as Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one, came the first time to cleanse the temple, to atone for sin, to authenticate the words of the prophets who had said so much about what his first coming would look like. So Jesus will come again to bring his heavenly kingdom to wash over this earth and to wash away every ounce of evil and sin for all eternity. That's Daniel 9 right there. The anointed one is coming. This is the essence of our hope. And so we want to take some time to respond to that good news. Um, if you're new, we, we take some time every week after the message to, to respond to Jesus. And, and there's, there's a few ways you, you can do that. Um, number one, you can do that through prayer. Where like Daniel, you can get honest with God. Um, where, where you can respond to whatever he's been revealing in your life. Maybe it's not even from the sermon today. Maybe there's that thing he's been talking to you about for a while. And, and look, I know it's so easy to make excuses. I know it's so easy to say, oh yeah, but this, yeah, but that. But, but I would just say this. We live in a world that is in desperate need of revival. Our church, we need revival. We need to see God move in power. My gosh, I want that. And all of this comes on the other side of Daniel's prayer of confession. This is how all of the great revivals have happened in history. It's when God's people stop making excuses and blaming the culture and being crusty. When God's people simply come and say, God, I'm not worried about all that. Here's the sin in my life I need to confess. Here's the ways that we are falling short as a community. And we're sorry, we don't want this anymore. Would you take it away from us? Would you bring new life to us in this place? This is where revival begins. And so what if we stopped pretending and just came and got honest with him and confessed those things to him this morning? I just wonder, might he breathe a revival in this place? I really feel like we're living in the days of Daniel where that's our only hope. And so we want to invite you to come in prayer and get honest with him this morning. Um, when you do that, the second way you can respond is by coming down to the table and taking the bread and dipping it in the cup and remembering the broken body and shed blood of the Christ, our great anointed Savior, who was cut off to atone for our sins. This table is the place where the Holy Spirit works it deeper into our souls that it's not just Daniel who's greatly loved, it's you who's greatly loved. 
And so we want to invite you to pray and get honest with God. And if you've trusted in Jesus, we want to invite you to come and taste and see and remember that he loves you. He is for you. And there's nothing you can confess to him this morning that would change his mind about you. And, and for those who call Fair Oaks home and are invested in this community, um, we can also respond by giving using offering boxes in the back. But whatever it looks like for you, we want to encourage you to take this moment to respond to what God is saying before we rush out of here.